Hello there, and welcome to episode number 121 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. All right, so we have another week of Blue Jays topics to discuss here, and it's a bit of a mixed batch here because... um, there's a lot of negativity, like a lot of le- a lot of negativity, right now surrounding this team. Um, there's a few positive mixed in. Don't really want to talk about them right now, frankly, um, because we sit here, or at least I sit here, Saturday night after the Blue Jays threw away. A winnable game that they basically had in hand up until the bottom or the top of the eighth inning. And they ended up what they ended up throwing away what could have been a three to one victory, a four to one victory to a nine to four loss, which is compounded by the fact that the Blue Jays also lost Friday night's game three to two, where they struggled to score runs, period, again, which they've done a lot recently, actually for the most part of this season, where they went one for 13 one for 13 with runners in scoring position a night ago stranding not one not two not three not four I could go on for a while but they stranded 12 base runners in that game where they could only muster up two runs in a game that saw Yusei Kikuchi pitch fairly well followed by a bullpen led by Nate Pearson's two innings of work, which were pretty sensational as well. And yet, couldn't generate enough run support. And even though that was a bit of an issue on Saturday, the bigger issue was the bullpen management by the Blue Jays coaching staff. Because this was a game that was supposed to be started by Alec Manoa, originally. But, as I'm sure all of you are fully aware by now, Alec Manoa was sent down earlier this week to the lowest possible level of the minor leagues, which was the Florida Coast League, where Manoa is going to try and correct his pitching woes, his mechanics, regain his confidence down at the Blue Jays Player Development Complex in Dunedin, Florida, which was ultimately the right move to make, after, especially after he surrendered um, six runs and only recorded one out 
in his most recent outing um, this past Monday. So the Blue Jays really had no other choice but to option Manoa down. And ultimately, that is going to help Manoa in the long run where he's going to be able to get into the Blue Jays pitching lab, use all their high-tech machines and their biometric uh, devices to properly diagnose what's ailing him this season. And part of it's mechanical, but more recently, these issues have crept into, or at least it seems like they have crept into the mental side, where it's now affecting, or it, it was affecting his demeanor on the mound, and certainly not doing any favors to his mental health, I'm sure, off the field either. Um, so now this allows him to reset for a couple of weeks, and hopefully get him right towards the end of the month. So, in the meantime, the Blue Jays were left with sending out a bullpen day in game two of this three-game set versus the Minnesota Twins. But luckily, thanks to three off days and the fact that the rest of their rotation has been pretty lights out over these last two, three, even four weeks, the team should be able to get by with just two bullpen days through the end of June. Because you have the off day on Monday, another off day on June 22nd, and another off day on the 26th. So, with everyone else on regular rest, and Gosman pitching on Sunday, the Blue Jays can roll out Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi in those three games next week against the Orioles, put Gosman on regular rest rather than having an extra day, which isn't ideal because he's better with five days rest versus four, but still, this is the, the dilemma you're facing. So Gosman will probably start uh, next weekend series in Texas versus the AL West leading Texas Rangers, which is crazy, but that's the reality we live in. Um, and then we're probably going to see another bullpen day next Saturday as well. But in terms of the first bullpen day that the Blue Jays sent out, it went really well. Like probably went as well as anyone probably expected it would, perhaps even a bit better. Um, because Trevor Richards, I mean, not only has he been fantastic this season, heading into Saturday's start, get, recording a, a ton of uh, swings and misses and strikeouts um, with his fastball changeup uh, combo, which uh, his, his changeup in particular has quickly become one of the premier pitches in baseball. Um, so he gets the nod as the opener for the Blue Jays. And you're thinking, okay, like Trevor Richards, probably give you two innings max. And that allows you to bring in Bowden Francis, who was called up from AAA and added to the 40-man roster once Manoa was optioned down. 
so you're thinking, okay, Bowden Francis pitches the bulk of the game after Richards gives you two innings, and then we see what happens from there. Um, it didn't help that the Blue Jays had to use a number of different pitchers in Friday's game and still didn't get still didn't get the win, um, and had to burn through all of their high leverage arms, which didn't give them any outside of Jordan Romano for Saturday's game. They also sacrificed seemingly Friday's game in extra innings by going with Adam Simber rather than Trevor Richards. But I'm good with that decision from John Schneider and the Blue Jays because you needed Trevor Richards on Saturday. Like you, you could not afford to use him on Friday. The only problem is Adam Simber wasn't really the guy who should have been pitching in the 10th inning, but you don't really have any other options anyway. Um, with Anthony Bass now gone, and um, let me say good riddance on that too. Because, and I need to touch on, actually, I should spend like an entire episode on this, but I don't have the time. So I only spend a segment of this episode on Anthony Bass and his nonsense. However, I'll say these few things. I'm glad the Blue Jays finally came to their senses and DFA'd Anthony Bass, which should have happened in the first place. I don't like, however, that they waited 11 days to do so, tried to pull multiple PR stunts, to turn this negative into a positive even though Anthony Bass didn't deserve that treatment because he didn't change his opinions at all he didn't really show any signs of growth he contradicted his entire approach um, before the game on Thursday so he left the Blue Jays no other choice but to cut loose with him I so um it was poorly handled by Ross Atkins and the Blue Jays organization um, on multiple fronts where they tried to frame uh, Anthony Bass as this like reformed guy who showed all this remorse in a PR statement um, that he initially gave on the field for 33 seconds and then speaking to the media later and all the things he said afterwards both to the media and to his teammates and the coaching staff and executives and whatnot but it just it it didn't need to go down this way whatsoever it could have been handled much quicker and much easier simpler um I I understand the whole not trying to start a war with the players union part I, I'm I acknowledge that and understand that as well and but at the same time don't try and sneak and and, and play this off as that uh, it was a baseball related decision the DFA bass on Friday and that adding Mitch White to the bullpen makes the bull, makes the team better. That's just nonsense. Mitch White had uh, an ERA over 10 
I believe, in the minors before he got called up. And he didn't do so great on Saturday either, allowing uh, a home run, two runs total, three hits uh, over an inning and two-thirds. So that was just laughable to hear Ross Atkins try and spin it that way um, and, and sort of downplay the fact that, uh, I mean, he, he didn't even frame it properly either, but saying that Bass had become a distraction um, and, and, and that, uh, you know, they just they couldn't afford to have him around anymore. It's just, it was all messy and disappointing. But in the end, um, I'm glad that we can now turn the page on this chapter and we didn't have to see Anthony Bass out there Friday night catching the ceremonial first pitch to kick off Pride Weekend at the Rogers Center, which would have been so insulting to the LGBTQ uh, plus community, um, not to mention just to everyone uh, who follows the Blue Jays, how insulting that would have been. Um, so yeah, I'm glad the team and the organization finally made the right decision. But I just wish it would. I just wish they would have handled it much, much differently, and that they would have came to this conclusion days sooner than they did, and not try and put Bass on some sort of pedestal that he's, you know, a changed man and all that nonsense. Nonsense, because it was bullshit. That's what it was. It was bullshit. Um, so back to Saturday's game here, not having many options at your disposal, put the Blue Jays at a bit of a disadvantage going into the game. However, Trevor Richards goes out there and pitches his ass off. And dishes out one of the best performances of his professional career. Going three innings, allowing just one hit, which was a leadoff double from Canadian uh, Edward Julian. And allows just one walk, records seven strikeouts with 16 swings and misses. That changeup was working Absolutely beautifully generating 13 whiffs on 17 swings. He goes out there and throws 53 pitches, which ties uh, the most that he has thrown in a single outing since 2020 when he also threw 53 pitches. So he gives you that performance. And then you hand things over to Tim Meza in the fourth inning because a bunch of lefties are coming up. So it makes much more sense for Meza to face them rather than Bowden Francis. And Meza records a one, two, three inning in the fourth. 
which then creates a bit of a interesting dilemma for the Blue Jays in the fifth inning, but they were up 2-0, so they had a bit of a cushion um, to send Meza back out there. They had to pull the hook uh, somewhat early on him after he recorded uh, one out, but allowed two base runners to reach. Or sorry, one base runner to reach. Um, They had Max Kepler record a single, um, and that brought in Bowden Francis, who then struck out Ryan Jeffers on his curveball, which, by the way, pretty nasty. And then he also strikes out Michael Taylor to end the inning. And he proceeds to pitch pretty lights out for the Blue Jays from there on um, there on out. Uh, in total, he goes two and two-thirds, uh, allowing just two hits, one run. He did allow uh, the home run, which, I mean, if you, if you are familiar with Bowden Francis, that's one of the sort of knocks against him is that he gets into trouble a little bit with the long ball. But it was a solo shot, and the Blue Jays were up 3 nothing at that point in the seventh inning when he gave up the home run. So, again, you could live with it. It wasn't the end of the world um, that Trevor Larnick took Francis deep. And he responded extremely well after that, too, which was even more encouraging um, that he retired the next three batters he faced. To, the, to end the inning, and he had only thrown 33 pitches up to that point. Seemed like he was cruising a bit, at least, you know, until he surrendered the home run, but again, he finished off the inning very efficiently, uh, very quick too, so it seemed like, considering that Bance, Bowden Francis is stretched out pretty much, like he threw four and two-thirds in his last outing um, at AAA Buffalo, so and and even heading into this game, the Blue Jays said that you know Francis could probably um, throw 70 to 80 pitches. So 33 heading into the eighth inning, you're thinking, okay, all right, let's set let's send Francis back out. Hopefully, he can bridge the gap to Romano, and we can finish this game off. But no. No, that's, that, that's not what happened at all. No. Um, instead, for whatever reason, Adam Simber, pitching for the second game, or pitching in the second game in two nights, or two days, is sent out there to face the number nine hitter, and then the top of the order, with the Blue Jays leading just three to one. And what does he do? Oh, well, you know, um, he now some of this wasn't really Simber's fault. Like, I I, I want to give him a little bit. Or I want to take him off the hook a little bit here. One, he shouldn't have been out there, right? Obviously. Two, Michael A. Taylor laid down an absolutely perfect bunt down the third baseline. So, not really much you could do there. However, 
Had Francis been out there instead of Simber, probably would have been a little bit harder to lay that bunt down so perfectly because Taylor bunted on an 85 mile per hour fastball from Simber. Francis throws much harder than that. So I'm just, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say even if Taylor tried to bunt against Francis, maybe it goes foul. Maybe he fouls it off. Maybe he doesn't even get the bunt down at all. So I didn't love that. That, that, that really um, wasn't an ideal start to the inning, nor was the fact that Julian came up right after and blooped a ball into the outfield to put two runners on with nobody out. And then Donovan Solano comes up and smacks a ball into the outfield um, at 105.3 miles per hour to load the bases again with nobody out and your only high leverage pitcher in the bullpen who's available right now is Jordan Romano and there's nobody out. So now things are getting extremely dicey and you know surprisingly Simber strikes out Kirloff on a foul tip that somehow he just didn't connect on enough because he couldn't catch up to an 87 mile per hour fastball at the top of the zone. So, okay, all right. Um, and with Simber on the mound, you're thinking, okay, ground ball gets you out of the inning. Um, but, but, but no, um, not with Carlos Correa at the plate, who has struggled this season mightily, um, but he's still connected on an outside slider against Simber for a 100 mile per hour grand slam to put the twins up five to three and the inning just continued to snowball from there where trevor larnick comes up again 95 mile per hour single that gets through the infield for a hit then simber hits willie castro and schneider finally comes out and says okay that's enough but again, with very few relievers available, his only option is to go to Mitch White. Mitch White, who hasn't pitched in the majors yet this season and has been pretty awful in the minors this season. And uh, who does he get to face for his first batter? Max Kepler. And, um, and what does Max Kepler do to Mitch White? Well, um, Mitch White was, was kind enough uh, to throw him three balls, even though one of them should have been a strike, but it wasn't called. And then Mitch White throws him a cookie, like an absolute cookie down the middle, a fastball down the middle that Kepler crushes to right center um, at 105.6 off the bat for a three-run bomb. And once that happened, that was, that was it. That was it for the Blue Jays. That was when you were like, okay, that's, yep, that's the game right there. We just threw away a game that we should have won because of a poor bullpen decision 
by John Schneider and the Blue Jays coaching staff. I'm not putting all of this on Schneider because he's not the only one making the decisions, obviously. However, he is the manager. He has the final say on these decisions. And this is one that bit him in the ass big time. You know, thinking back on it, the only reason that I can come up with as to why Schneider didn't send Francis back out is that maybe he didn't want Francis to face the top of the Twins order for a second time. Because I don't think in an ideal world where any one of his other high leverage relievers are available, he's he's not going to Simber there. But I think, and, and judging by his post-game comments, I think the decision ultimately came down to more about not wanting Francis to face the heart of the order for a second time in a two-run game, but, like, I can understand that to an extent, however, when the alternative is going to Adam Simber on back-to-back days, it's like, what are you thinking? Like, why not stick with Francis? over going to Simber, who now, after allowing six runs over a third of an inning, has an ERA of 675 on the season. It just makes no sense, man. Like, why go to Simber in that situation? Honestly, like, I would put a position player on the mound before I'd go to Simber or White. In that spot. Now maybe that's a little foolish and silly. But man, like, this loss really hurts. And I'm not even in the clubhouse. You can see how big of an impact this loss was by just looking on all the faces of the Blue Jays players in the dugout after they squandered this lead. Like, that hurts, man. That is a real gut punch. And it comes, again, during a week that has been full of emotion for the Blue Jays, right? It starts out with Alec Manoa imploding in the first inning. And then later, and and then the next day, you have to send him down, right? Again, losing a guy who was your opening day starter, your quote-unquote ace, a huge personality in the clubhouse. So you take that out. We're just only on Tuesday. Thursday happens. Ross Atkins, Anthony Bass both speak to the media. All that negativity comes out. And then Friday, Bass is finally DFA'd, taken out of that culture and and off the roster. 
and you lose a winnable game Saturday, you lose a very, very winnable game on Sunday, or sorry, you lose a very winnable game on Friday, the same day you DFA Anthony Bass, then you also lose a very, very winnable game on Saturday. It's like, it's a free fall. It's a free fall, man. Like, it's nice, obviously, that you have Kevin Gosman going on Sunday, who has been your ace this season. And hopefully he'll be able to put an end to this mini two-game losing streak. But, ugh. The Blue Jays should have won these first two games. Seriously. You know, like... That game, Friday night, should not have gone to extra innings. There was some unluckiness and some good pitching. But there was a lot of poor execution offensively for the Blue Jays. For them to go 1 for 13 with runners in scoring position in that game. Like, that can't happen for a team that has championship aspirations. Neither can this nonsense the following day either. You can't make these mistakes in a division that is so tightly packed. And on a day as well, that saw the Rays lose. When does that happen? It's so rare. That the Tampa Bay Rays actually lose a game. And on the day that it happens, you throw away a win. It's unacceptable. It really is. Like it it's so ironic that all winter and all spring, the Blue Jays preached every day who to to anyone who would listen to them that they were going to clean up the little things and execute the tiny details and play really clean, seamless baseball. And yet we really haven't seen that this season. Like, at times, sure, but not consistently. Both, again, from, from a managerial standpoint, but also from a roster standpoint, too. Uh, from a player standpoint, there just hasn't been that level of execution that, frankly, everyone was promised. And so now we're we're in a situation where the Blue Jays have to send out their ace to hope that they can avoid a sweep that they can't really afford. Because coming up, you got the Baltimore Orioles, who are playing extremely good baseball this season and who are currently sitting second in the division, a team you're trying to chase down. And then from a macro level, of course, there continue to be concerns about the final few spots in the bullpen. Especially now with with Bass gone. Um, In the short term, obviously, Francis is going to occupy a spot. And Trevor Richards looked amazing, right? Um, Adding to his uh, career high strikeout percentage that was 36.5% heading into the day. 
um, adding to his chase percentage that ranked in the 100th percentile heading into this, uh, heading into to Saturday's game. Um, and Browden Francis showed some, some promise. Um, and you know, hopefully he'll be able to continue um, to build on that likely next Saturday when he's called upon for another bulk outing against the Rangers. Um, I, I, I doubt that he'll come in in the fifth inning um, that game, but it, it all depends on um, probably how long Richards goes. Um and, and you know whether or not Nate Pearson is available, but you're probably looking to save him to, uh, for after Francis, considering how things went uh, in this game. So you know, like there's 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 good vibes around what Francis and obviously what what Richards gave you. Credit to Mesa for for coming in and, and doing his job on Saturday as well, but. When it comes to Adam Simber and on a uh, smaller level, Mitch White as well, like, I, I, I don't know how much more the Blue Jays can wait on both of these guys and especially Adam Simber. Um, now, granted, there aren't many options or at least immediate options um, behind them that are, you know, that could push those two out um at least you know in the short term here like Zach Pop is still on a rehab assignment with Don Eden um so he's probably I don't know a week at least away um from you know coming back up likely but um even with Simber like you can't freely option him down either without his consent and um I, I don't know if he'd be willing to go down to the minors or not um but at this rate considering he now has a 675 ERA and a 735 FIP um it's it's really you know like the, the, the Blue Jays are running out of options here with Simber because he hasn't been good at all this season like since coming off the injured list, or at least his phantom IL stint where he had a rhomboid uh, strain, uh, Simber now has a 935 ERA in nine appearances. And, um, you know, like that was obviously significantly lower heading into Saturday's game. It was hovering around three before it ballooned. Um, but the more concerning things with with Simber is that his strikeouts are down this season and his walks are up and he is allowing more hard contact and for a guy who doesn't throw hard and isn't traditionally a strikeout pitcher anyway there's not much value in him right now and again to, to think that the strikeouts are going to suddenly come back for a guy who isn't a strikeout pitcher you're, you're kind of uh, you know living in a fantasy world and, and you know using smoke and mirrors like I just I, I don't see the upside with Adam Simber anymore because right now he's barely a low leverage arm and for a team that 
is using its bullpen a lot right now with Alec Manoa in the minors, they can't afford to waste a roster spot on a guy they can't count on unless the game is a blowout. And, you know, similar sentiment on Mitch White, who, again, only you know, this is only his first appearance since coming back up, but it didn't look good in the minors. And he wasn't good um, in the minors either beyond throwing just one inning. He, he got smacked around um, when he had to, you know, pitch, go sit down, and get back up again. He got roughed up in the minors with, with Buffalo when do, when placed in that sort of role. Um, and obviously Saturday wasn't a good showcase for him either. So, and, and he's a guy without of options. So if you want to take him off the roster, you're going to have to DFA him first. Um, and, and, you know, like, it hasn't even been a year since the Jays acquired him. So you don't really want to potentially lose him after giving up a pretty good prospect in Nick Frasso um, in exchange for Mitch White and, and um, that trade now less than a year later is not looking all that favorable for the Blue Jays uh, like you have to give them a bit of a break on that because Frasso had some red flags when he was in the Blue Jays organization, there were some injury concerns. There was concerns around his ability to stick as uh, a starter in the majors. So some trades don't work out. And obviously that one for the Blue Jays looks like a horror show right now, considering how much Mitch White has struggled in 2023. But, again, getting back to the macro side of this, I just don't think there's much leeway here um, that the Blue Jays can give Simber in particular, where, um, you know, there's a guy like Jay Jackson in the minors who can give you a little bit of length. He can, get, he can pitch multiple innings in a pinch if you need him to, like he did earlier this week uh, when he sort of saved the Blue Jays a little bit after Manoa got chased from the game. So I wouldn't be opposed to sending down Simber or DFAing Simber in, ex- you know, in, in, uh, in exchange for, for Jackson. Just, again, to, to help not only give you a fresh arm, but hopefully give you somebody who is going to perform a little bit better. Because like we know Jay Jackson isn't a high leverage pitcher. He's barely even somebody you could trust in medium uh, leverage spots. So, but again, at the same time, like it can't get any worse than what Adam Simber's giving you right now anyway. And I think when Mitch Pop, well, Mitch Pop, when Zach Pop is healthy and deemed ready to return, we'll see him back up immediately, immediately with the Blue Jays. And there's a guy like Hagen Danner in AAA who hasn't made too many appearances with the Bisons so far, but I think he's not. He's probably not that far away from um, being deserving of a promotion 
and for a guy who throws hard and has some good secondary weapons as well he's probably someone who can help the Blue Jays this season in fact I would guarantee that we'll see him up with the Blue Jays at some point this year um and you know it it added insult to injury as well on Saturday that Brandon Belt injured his hamstring while scoring from second base in the third inning where he just you know it's just a a soft tissue injury for a guy who's had lower body injuries in his career he's 35 years old um and he's rounding third and he feels something grab in his left hamstring and uh it tightened up on him and uh the Blue Jays had to take him out of the game so uh not great news regarding his status either because John Schneider said after the game that it's kind of a wait and see with Belt. He's going to undergo further testing to determine the severity of that injury. But anytime a hamstring gets mentioned with a guy that, again, who is in his mid-30s, has had previous lower body issues, he's coming off knee surgery... So I, I, I'm not holding my breath on Belt avoiding an IL stint. And that would be a huge loss for the Blue Jays too. Because since the start of May, Brandon Belt's been arguably one of the Blue Jays' best hitters. Like he's been getting on base at, a, at an incredible rate. Uh, I believe his on-base percentage since May 6th leads the majors. Um, and even on Saturday, he batted third in front of Vladdy, um, because he's been playing so well and he's been having so many quality at bats, um, to, so to lose him, it would just be a heartbreaker and it it would make Saturday's game even worse. And, uh, you know, it doesn't help again, the fact that you're going to go on a road trip very soon uh, and face some pretty good teams, right? And the Orioles and the Rangers and even the Marlins who are, playing, who are playing really well this season and sit second in the National League East. So all in all, things aren't looking good for the Blue Jays right now. It's only a two-game sample size, of course right so we can't freak out too much but man this has just been such a week to forget for the Blue Jays and let's just hope that that Kevin Gosman puts some sort of positive spin on it because frankly this team really needs some positivity right now because there hasn't been a whole hell of a lot of it recently. So that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next week or next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear properly, and thanks for listening.